Let's bow our heads as we get ready for the word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to show us what you would want us to see from all from your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 2, starting at verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the, for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, which is which was the, so named for the, of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him bef- to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. And to offer the sacrifice per, according to that which was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pi- pigeons. And behold, there was a man in, in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of, of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he should, had seen the Lord's Christ. And when, they came by, and when he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law, then took him he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now let me, your servant, depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, and the light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things that were spoken to him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, this mother, his mother, blessed is this. Behold, I'm having trouble reading too. Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again in, of many in Israel and for the sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce your very own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one, Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Aser, and she was of great age and had lived for a hundred and uh, with her husband seventy years from her virginity, and she was a widow, or excuse me, and she with her husband seven years and was a widow for about eighty-four years, which departed not from the temple but served served God with fastings and prayer night and day. And she, coming in at that instance, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spoke of him to all them that looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had fulfilled all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned unto Galilee and their own city, Nazareth. We just want to take a look at this. This is now 40 days after the birth of Jesus. All right. So... We're going a little beyond Christmas on this one, but I, they, these kind of these two people get left out of a lot of the, a lot of the stories about Jesus' birth. So I wanted to just look at them. You know, we have two people that are of great age at this point. We don't know how old Simeon is because they don't tell us much about him. All he is doing is saying God told him he was not going to die until he had seen the consolation of Israel, meaning the Messiah. Now. We know that this is 40 days after, after the birth. And how do we know that? Because we're going to turn to Leviticus chapter 12. And we're going to read what happens when a child is born for, for the Israel people. 
12, starting at verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived seed and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days according to the days of separation for the infirmity, shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall be circumcised, and she shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days, and she shall touch no hollow thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification be fulfilled. So the first section said that she had come back because her purification had been fulfilled. All right, so we started with the eighth day. The eighth day they would take the child in and have the child into the synagogue or the temple, whatever was closer to them, and they would perform the circumcision. And that would be the day that the child would receive his or her name on the eighth day. So every male child was circumcised for, for the Jewish people. So on the eighth day, they would have taken him probably to the synagogue in Jerusalem, uh, into the synagogue there in Nazareth. He would have been circumcised and they would have given his official name. Now remember when John the Baptist was circumcised and given his name? And everybody in the group wanted to name the boy Zacharias because, Zacharias because he was so old and had to have a child. And Elizabeth said, no, his name need to be John. And they're going, there's nobody in your family named John. Why would you do that? <laughs> and then they brought the, you know, they went to John, uh, Zachariah and he wrote out his name as John. And then all of a sudden he was able to speak. <laughs> all right. So we have this process going on. So eight days he was being circumcised. And then she would be unclean or not able to do anything for another 33 days after this first seven days. So a total of 40 days that they are in Bethlehem. And then they make the short 17-mile trip to Jerusalem to offer the sacrifice. And I'm going to jump down just a little bit in this uh, section. In verse 6, And when the days of the purification are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall... She shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering unto the, do unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and to the priest, who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from the issue of blood and from the law for her that hath borne a male child. And if she not be able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons the one for the burnt offering and the one for the sin offering, that the priest shall make atonement for her. So these are the rules that they had to follow after giving birth. So for 40 days, the woman was considered unclean after her birth. And this is what it says in the very first part of this. They went to name Jesus, and it says, when, and in verse 22 says, And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So they followed the law. And I've always been looking at this and seeing how obedient Mary and Joseph were to the various rules of law. All right, now I'm sure they, you know, they were definitely not perfect, but they stayed. They, they stayed in Bethlehem. I think they stayed originally just to have the 40 days rather so they'd be right at the temple and be able to offer their sacrifices with no, with no inconvenience. So they stayed for 40 days and you know, after 40 days, it appears because we know that Jesus is going to be there when the wise men get there. And we're going to talk about the wise men next week. But the wise men get there long after the birth of Jesus, contrary to all the pictures we have of them showing up at the manger. Because the wise men show up at a house 
and, and go see the young child, not the infant. So it's going to be a little while. And apparently Joseph was a good, good carpenter, a good tradesman who, after 40 days of being there, got himself into some employment and was doing, doing good work and saying, okay, we've got lots of business here in, near the big city <laughs> and decided to stay there for a while. And we'll talk a lot more about that next week. But they stay there. And what we find in verse 24 is they offered a pair of turtle doves or young, young, or two young pigeons, which tells us what? They were so poor they could not afford a lamb. All right? They were not a wealthy family. Jesus was not born into a wealthy family with a huge house and, and all of his needs being met. He grew up in a working class family. And also he worked in, uh, grew up in a family that had a bad reputation, which we've talked about several times. Mary was, had a child before she, was, before she was technically married. Joseph, of course, was you know, probably criticized with, as well because he went ahead and married uh, this girl who had a baby that he's claiming was not his own. And everybody's looking at him like, sure, Joseph. <laughs> and so all these things were going on. The, he grew up and how do we know that they did this because one of the times the scribes and Pharisees told Jesus well we know who our father is what's the what's the implication you don't know who your father is you were you were you were born a bastard you did you didn't know who your father was and so they were attacking him in that pro in that process I did not know that but Hmm. Uh, a maverick is a maverick. Okay. So, Jesus was a uh, I never heard that, but that's okay. All right. And while he's there, he meets this man named Simeon shows up. He's an older man. He's been waiting every day for the Messiah to show up. Somehow, Jesus had told him, you are going to see the Messiah. Now, we've got to think about this. This is a very interesting statement that he had great faith for. For over many hundred years, the people had been waiting for a Messiah. You know, maybe even close to a thousand years, they had been waiting for a Messiah. Everyone's sitting there going, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's going to deliver us, the Messiah's going to make everything come true, we're going to be the center of all, all worship, all the government is going to be sitting here for this period of time. And Simeon says, I've been told by God that I won't die until the Messiah comes. And it seems to be pretty old because what's his first thing? <laughs> All right, God, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> I have now seen the Messiah. And it tells us that he, you know, somehow he knew as soon as he saw Jesus, he knew this was the Messiah. When Mary came and saw Elizabeth that says the baby leapt in her womb. And, and we have that prophecy from Elizabeth that she was carrying the Messiah. She comes in and, you know, this man just walks up to you. Can you imagine you go to, you go to, some, go to church and you're just coming in and somebody runs up to you and says, I want to talk to I want to bless the Messiah. You know, first thing you're going to think, this guy's crazy. Now, they knew that they had a special child, and they knew this, but so, but so it probably wasn't quite as surprising to them. But here is a total stranger, an old, older man, a, a 
rabbi coming up to him and saying, you have got the Messiah. And his blessing is so wonderful as he comes up to him and he says, and he took up the child in his arms and he blessed God. Now, I don't know how many of you can remember when your children were young, but how would you feel if somebody comes up and goes, can I hold your baby for just a moment? This is a very special child. And I can almost picture how humble he feels at that point. He is holding the Messiah in his arms. Can you think about how special that would be to you? How scary it might even be to you? you know, I wonder how Mary felt the first time she held Jesus. It's her baby, but it's also the Son of God, the Messiah. And she's holding him. Simeon comes along, and I could just picture him looking at this child and holding this child and saying, how special can I be to be holding the Messiah? I get to hold, not only do I get to see him, I get to hold him in my arms and bring this blessing. And he says that he said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace or die. He says, I'm, I'm fulfilled. Have you ever felt that way when God has given you something to do and you get to the end of it and you say, God, this is it. Everything is fulfilled. Oh, he literally knew he was fulfilled. He had been waiting for this event all his life. And he goes, God, thank you. It is done. Well, one of the things I would, that we have from there is he says, this is done. I'm ready to go. My eyes have seen the salvation of the law. And he says, this is going to be the light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people. This is very amazing how well he understood the gospel message. Most of the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to make Israel great. That's all they cared about. They didn't think about the Gentiles or anything else. They were looking forward to the day that the Israel was going to be the top dog. And the Gentiles would be forced to be subject, subject to Israel. And note that he brought that second after he said he has come to be the light to the Gentiles. Because the scriptures are full of the opportunity of saying that God is the God of the Gentiles. Most of the Israels thought this is, you know, we're, the one, we're, God, we're God's chosen, we're special, and everybody else is rejected by God. That was their attitude. Simeon reverses the whole process. He says God, the Messiah, has come for the Gentiles first and then for us. He understood scripture. He understood God's love for the world. And this is something even we as Christians need to be careful of. Sometimes we go, well, God, I am so glad I'm in church and I'm going to fellowship with the church and uh, all those other people. I will I'll witness to if my path crosses them, but I'm not going to do anything special to get out there, which is the Jewish attitude toward the Gentiles. We need to be very careful that we don't take that attitude. We must go out and be on these doors and share Christ with others, lift him up and be able to share with others because otherwise we're doing exactly what they do and did, only slightly different. We're going, all right, God, I'm inside church. Okay, I'm going to, I'll talk to everybody in church. I'll bless everybody in church because nobody in church is going to criticize me that much for talking about you, but I don't want to do it out there. They might get irritated. 
I might lose my job if I tell somebody about Jesus at work. I might have people think that I'm weird and strange. You know what? We are weird and strange to the world. <laughs> so if they think we're weird and strange, that's a wonderful thing. Because we are, to their mind, very strange. Because we don't do things the way the world does things. Now, to God, we're doing it the w perfect in the, in the way we're supposed to do, but the world is going to think, wow, you guys are awfully strange. How can you do this? You're not out getting drunk on the weekends and acting like the fool and thinking you're having fun. I don't know how you, you know, they're going, I don't know how you guys can have fun. You don't do anything that's fun. And I'm looking at them, why would you want to do anything that you consider to be fun? I like being the follower of God and being, in, being with the Spirit and, and being full of joy and peace and all the other things that come with being part of God. And I like being weird by their standard. And then he goes to Mary. Mary, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. All right. So what was he saying? He's going to shake things up. He's going to shake up what the Jews believe. How many times does God shake up the things that we believe? Now, I've had that happen so many times in my life when I think something's going to happen and watch God do something totally different. When I think I understand the way God's going to do something and he does something totally different, this is Simeon's message to Mary. We think we, we Jews have been following this for, for several hundred years, almost, you know, almost 1,500 years, and we, we think we know how God's going to be and what he's going to do. And Simeon goes, God is going to shake up all of that. He's going to bring down the ones who think they know everything, and he's going to rise up many others. Who did Jesus use? He used some very interesting people to be the disciples. Fishermen, tax collectors, a zealot, you know, a tax, you know, all kinds of people he used to be, be it. He did not go to the temple and say, okay, I want that rabbi, I want this rabbi, I want this rabbi, I want this guy, these top dogs, I want them all to be my followers. Jesus pulled a ragtag group of people and said, the spirit is gonna fill you and you are gonna be mighty. God does not use us because of the things we can bring to the table to minister to it with. He uses us because we will let him work through us and be able to work for him because of what he does. And then he gave Mary a very interesting statement. And he says, A sword shall pierce you through to your own soul also, and he will reveal the thoughts of many people a sword will be thrust through her heart. At this time, Mary is looking at all the things that are happening to her and keeps marveling. First, she gets pregnant without being, be, while still being a virgin. Then she gives birth to this baby in Bethlehem where she you know, finally realizes this is where she was supposed to be. She gets a visit from the shepherds. She gets a visit from these, these uh, two older, older people and who knows how many, are not, you know, how many other visits are not recorded. After this visit, she's going to get a visit from the, from the three wise men. Then they're going to be told to go to Egypt. And at some point, she's going to realize that that was part of the scriptures. Out of Egypt, I will call my, call my, my son. You know, so all of these things, and she watches him over time. We don't know what happens between the visit to Egypt to the time of the visit to, to Jerusalem at 12 years old when they lose Jesus, which had to be a great panic to lose the Son of God. 
And they come back and they find him in the temple. And then he says, and he's, after he's been amazing all these great leaders, can you imagine what that would be? All these people who studied the law, knew the law, are being amazed by a 12-year-old child teaching them. <laughs> teaching them things that they had never considered, never understood, because he was the one that wrote the book in the first place and knew it better than they did. And then he goes back and he submits himself to his mother and father for another 18 years because he comes on the scene at age 30 as a rabbi. And then she watches him as he gets very popular with everybody and has a great following. And then all of a sudden she starts watching the people turn against him. Have you ever been in a place where somebody that you love or at least very much care for has things go wrong and people turn against them? It brings you almost as much pain, if not more pain, than, than what they're going through. And Mary watches all of this. She watches as these people demand that her son die the most cruel death possible of crucifixion. You know, and this is, we think of the crucifixion and we think about how bad it is and all of that, but if you really understand crucifixion, it was a horrible death. And beyond just the crucifixion, Jesus was scourged before he even went to the cross. You know, and we think of scourging, he just got beat. The scourging left your back looking like mincemeat because they tore it apart. And then Jesus, with a totally frailed, frailed back, was taken and putting on an old, splintery cross to be hung on the cross. And he took the worst of, the, of it because it says he was nailed to the cross, which was the punishment for the worst of the worst criminals. Normally, people were tied to the cross, not nailed. If you were an awful cr criminal, you would be nailed to the cross like Jesus was. And to be able to breathe on that cross, you would have to push yourself up on this little platform, up against all the splinters of the wood. You pushed yourself up so you could get a breath, and then because of the pain on your feet, you would come crashing back down, driving the splinters more into your back, and you know, pulling down on your arms and pulling them out of socket. And every time you wanted to breathe, you had to go through this. And beyond that, and it's something that is not generally you know, talked about, they also stripped the person naked when they were on the cross. So he was there naked, beaten to a pulp, and hanging on a cross to die for us. And Mary had to watch all of that. And we all know, for if you, you, we've all said it, heard it, you know, no parent expects to have their child die before they do. And especially not this horrible of death. And all she could do was watch it happen. The sword that pierced her heart as her son died. The most horrible death that could be imagined at that time. And Simeon told her all of this was going to happen. And she did not fully understand all of what this was going to be. She had the normal picture of the Messiah. The Messiah was going to come. He was going to rule Israel and, and everything was going to be great. My son is going to be the king of Israel is how she, how she understood it. And then she'd have forgotten to be the queen mother. So all of these things happen. 
And then along it comes Anna. And I like the way to say that it says she was a, a great age. And she was old enough that all she did was stay at the temple all the time. Now, if you want to figure out how old she was, she was married for seven, lived with her husband for seven years. She had been a widow for 84 years. So that meant just for that time, we've got 91 years old. Now, that was assuming she'd be 91 if she was married at age zero, which didn't happen. She was married probably at age 12 or 13, like normal ones, so she's at least 103 to 105 years old. Now, that's a pretty good age. And she saw the Messiah, and she rejoiced. She was kind of like Simeon at this point, waiting to see the Messiah. And she hears all of this going on, and she goes over and blesses the Lord. And, he, and she spoke to them that looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. And I can picture her and Simeon going all through the temple saying, the Messiah's here, he's right over there. He's right over there. Now, most of the people probably thought they were crazy. You know, uh, you know, these lunatics, these old lunatics are telling us the Messiah is here. Some would have said, I wonder if what they're saying is true. What is the main point I want to bring out of this? Both of these people had heard from God that something was going to happen in their life. We oftentimes will hear that God is going to do something in our, in our life. God does things in his time, not our time. How long did they wait? It doesn't really tell us how long they were waiting. S Simeon was at an older age, ready to die. It says he was ready to die, so I'm imagining he was well over 60 to 60 to 80 years old. He's, he's coming to the end of life. Anna's looking close to the end of her life at 100, 103, 105. And one of the problems that we have with God is we expect when he tells us something that he's going to do it yesterday. God... Uh, you told me you were going to do something. Why isn't it done yet? I, we get so impatient so easily as human beings. Because we live in a very short time frame when, and God is looking at something very long term. When was the first prophecy of, of the Messiah given? Way back in Genesis, in Genesis 3 when, when they ate the fruit and he told Mary that your the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And he's saying, your seed, Mary. So almost 6,000 years ago, Jesus, God had this plan for the Messiah to come. He did not come up with the plan after that. He just knew. We need to learn to be patient with God and to accept his timetable. And I'm just as guilty as everybody else about not wanting to follow God's timetable. I'm just as impatient as everybody else. I like things to happen immediately. And we need to be very careful about that because God does things his way. And as the, as the pilgrims said, as they started uh, in uh, Plymouth, they're going, we might just be stepping stones for our, for our family to take it. If all we are is the person who put the foundation in place, for others to build on, we're happy with that. The question for us, are we willing to just be the stepping stones? Are we willing to just be the foundation? 
or are we going to demand that God uses us in some special way? And this is what we need to always be ready for. What is our part in, in God's plan? Paul says it very simple in salvation. Some plant seeds, some water seed, and some get to actually bring the harvest, but they're all needed for the process. We need to be able to understand what our part is and be willing to be the one who does, does the foundation. And when you're building a building, you need to have a good foundation. And whoever really appreciates the foundation of a building, basically only people that are carpenters and, and builders may appreciate the foundation, but outside of that, I have never looked at the foundation of a building and say, wow, what a beautiful foundation. You know, now, I might appreciate the building when it's done and it's all been painted up real nice and, and sealed up real nice and the roof is on and everything looks beautiful on the exterior of the house. But I've not paid much attention to the foundation of the house, the foundation of a building. Now, when I was in school in the 80s, the school was expanding on this building. We were real close to a river. It was California where you had special earthquake uh, rules. And I remember them spending almost two years getting the foundation ready for this building, piling these great big uh, metal posts down into the ground and driving and driving and drove you nuts when you're in class. And there's bang, 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 bang as they're driving these posts down. I'm going, are they ever going to get done with these posts? But it took them a year and a half, two years just to make the foundation. And then when they got done with that, the whole building went up in about a, in just a couple months. And it's like, wow. But this building had to withstand earthquakes, being close to a river, which meant they had to drive these things deep to get down below the, the water table and all of that. That foundation. It's one of the places where I actually started understanding foundation to these buildings. It wasn't just the concrete and everything they poured. It was how stable it was. What if your job is to be just one of those pillars that has been driven down into the ground and nobody's ever going to know about what you did, but you are setting that foundation? Are you ready to accept that God is using you for that purpose? Maybe you'll be part of the superstructure that everybody gets to know about. I don't know. That is God's plan. That is what he wants to do. But we need to learn just to be accepting of whatever God's plan is for us. Say, God, I am going to accept. I'm going to trust that what you are doing is what needs to be done. And the challenge for us is to just learn to trust God. Because we almost always want it our way. God, my plan is wonderful. Why won't you do it my way? God, I think, you know, maybe you've even said this some, God, I really need this to happen in my life, and it'd be really wonderful if you put it on the heart of this person to supply what I need. Yeah, I've done it myself a few times in my life, told God how I want my prayer answered instead of letting him answer it the way he wants. And I don't think God has ever answered things the way I think they should be answered. He always does the things, does it the way he wants to do it. So, we need to be able to say, God, I'm just going to trust you. I want your will. And the good thing about God's will, it's going to be better than anything we can think of. Even if it doesn't look like it's better than anything I can think of, his plan is going to be better than anything I can think of. When it's happening, it may not seem like it's better than what I can think of, but it's better than anything I can think of. Because his plan is perfect.
even when it doesn't look perfect, it's still perfect. Because he knows the beginning from the end. He knows what's going to happen. And even when it doesn't look perfect at the time, it's still going to be perfect. And I've shared with you all, you know, God showed me this one time when I had a gout attack for six months. And I could barely walk. I was on crutches for six months. And I'm going, God, I don't understand how any of this can be for good. I don't understand how this can be good at all. I'm in pain. I can barely sleep. And about a year and a half later, somebody came up to me and said, I was so encouraged by what you went through when you were in obvious pain last year. And I'm going, okay, God, now I understand. My pain was not for me. My pain was not for anything on my behalf. My pain was so that that person could be encouraged. Very important for us, what are we willing to go through if somebody else comes to Christ, gets encouraged, or whatever, by what I go through? Jesus went to the cross for us, knowing that it was the best thing for the world. I've hung in my office the statement, and you all have heard this, what is the value of one soul? And what does that mean? What am I willing to go through if one soul comes to Christ? If one soul grows for Christ? And this is very important for us. Is one soul worth my pain? Now, we would all hopefully say, yes, it, that's true. That's a whole nother thing when we're actually called to go through pain so that that one soul can be reached. But we need to be able to say, God, whatever it takes, I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever you're going to do so that one can be reached. So my encouragement is, let's learn to trust God. No matter what he's going to send our way, no matter what he does or doesn't do, and watch our expectations that we don't try to tell him what to do. It's quite amazing that we oftentimes tell God what, what he should be doing. God, I know you're the king of the universe, you're the creator of all things, and you know what's going on, but I'm going to tell you what you should be doing, God, because somehow I know more. I'm actually living this life, so God, you need to be doing it my way. And we laugh about that, but you know how many times do we each do that? God, I'm gonna, just do it my way. So we need to just be careful. We need to learn to submit to God, no matter what his plan is. We need to say, God, you are in charge, and I'm going to trust you, no matter what. Lord, we ask you to bless this day to us. Lord, we ask that you give us a heart to follow you and to trust you in all things. Lord, we ask that you keep reminding us that no matter what happens, you still have a plan and that you will care and love for it, love us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, 
But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.